What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Joey, I literally almost named this podcast, Don't Do Anything Stupid. (laughs) Is that all you got from this? Seriously? No, but that was like, that is truly, that should be a motto for most people out there. Don't do anything stupid. Then you won't have to worry about all the potential issues and needs for attorneys. Like we're, we're interviewing an amazing estate planning attorney. He does a lot of asset uh, protection with this. He went through just so many different practical things that he's seen in his practice where people have built wealth, where um, you can, ways that you can protect the assets that you own. If you're someone who's doing infinite banking, um, in the middle of the interview toward the end, we get deep into ways that you can actually hold those life insurance policies in a way that really would frustrate the time out of anybody who tried to sue you if you ever were to be sued. But at at the end of the day, he just said, look, just don't do anything stupid and you might not even need me. Well, if I could have named this podcast, I would have been like, um, be careful who you go into business with. I mean, I, I don't know about you. Like that was like a red alert to me. Um, you know, Andrew and I have a call after this um, just to talk <laughs> about what happens if you don't listen to that advice. Um, but no, it, it it did make me grateful to be working with you, Russ, in all honesty, man, that it, it is an amazing thing to be like-minded and, uh, and to not be in a position to where you have to, to worry about that. So, well, I, he, he talked a little bit about how to play the game of asset protection. And I think as we're building passive income streams, the assets that create those streams do need to be protected, right? If what you don't have protected can be taken away from you. And we're always focused on how do we build passive income, but also how do we avoid single points of failure? Where are those weaknesses or threats within our own personal finances that could eliminate all the hard work we've done, right? That's why we insure ourselves. That's why we pick good partners. That's why we pick good spouses, right? It's also why we should pick good attorneys to protect the assets that we own, which creates the stream of income. This interview is chock full of ideas. At the beginning, we get into a lot of just kind of personal backstory about him because I just was interested. As you said, Joe, you see him constantly doing things and he's enjoying life and we just wanted to know a little more about him. But stay with the interview because there's tons of info that you can take out of it. Yeah. So without further ado, let's jump in to this second interview with Andrew Howell. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. 
These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. All right, we were sitting here talking, Andrew, and I, I didn't want the audience to miss just the gold that you were sharing with us. What do you believe is valuable in masterminds and mentorships? So, um, yeah, Russ, you were explaining to me one that you were um, interested in or involved in, but I was saying how important they've been to me in my life in terms of, of a few masterminds that I've been in, and of course, some aren't and it all depends upon the people who are involved and what they bring to the table and 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 i don't know if it's not necessarily what they bring to the table it's what they're willing to share um i mean usually if you're getting involved in a mastermind and you've been vetted and and people invite you to come in you've got the credentials you've got the background you've got the history to bring something to the table but i in some of the masterminds i've been involved in people are just really tight-lipped they don't want to talk about I don't know if they don't want to talk about themselves or if they don't want to offer advice or if they don't want to give away the secret sauce. So you've got to be, I think you've got to be involved with those people who are not just capable, but also open and willing to share. And what I was, I think, explaining to you guys that you liked was one of my philosophies that I've had throughout my life was this idea of always making sure you had a mentor in your life. Um, and, and it's hard as we get older to, and maybe more astute in our professions and to, to find those people that we look up to and say, how do we do something? Cause we learn usually how to do what we're good at. Um, and masterminds for me have been a great way in my later time of life to find people who are doing something different in their life or bring something to the table that I necessarily wasn't aware of. Right. I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's allowed me to keep mentors in my life to continue to be challenged and, and, and run advice against. I mean, you know, the first thing that you, you know, mistake you could ever make in your life is to think that you know everything. And, 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 and so having those people that I think can bring different things to the table. So I've, I've really enjoyed some of the masterminds I've been involved in. Well, mentors, right? And mentors are going to be those people that challenge us and give us thinking that we don't already possess. And it's funny that you mentioned that because in our mastermind that Joey and I have, we actually have mentors in there as well. And it was like one of the, they were actually one of the people that, that pushed us to creating a mastermind because they had experienced all those things that you said. And I think those experiences that we can share from, from other people give us a new perspective. Now, yeah. our audience listens to Joey and I talk a lot about Joey's vacationing and all the things that he gets to do while I work. <laughs> and I know you're in a partnership and you and your partner work, you know, a ton together, but also independently, but also we get to see you traveling. So talk a little bit about how you've been able to manage being uber successful as an estate planning attorney, an asset protection attorney, someone that's <laughs> guiding other um, passive income investors on ways you know, to organize stuff, but also not losing track of that. You also have a family and a life that you're wanting to live. Yeah. So let's be honest in how this came up. Joey busted me because he follows me on Facebook and says that I'm all over the place doing <laughs> stuff. So that's how this conversation came to be. Dude, you're uh, always yeah, holding no, I, a trip in a stream somewhere. And I'm like, <laughs> that guy is constantly holding trout. I love this. How's he doing this? 
Yeah, so we have, um, I, I say through my late 20s and, and, and probably even through my 30s, really was concentrating on carving out uh, the ability to do those things. I, I love to fly fish. I, I love to deep sea fish. I love to hunt. Um, in fact, I'm just done with hunting season. I just filled my last deer tag this last weekend. So I love to be outside. It's where I feel peaceful. It's where I, um, it's, it's, it's honestly the only time I feel peaceful, uh, other than, you know, being around my family and so forth like that. But this is something I can do in solitude. I don't have to listen to clients and answer questions and all of those kind of things. Right. Which I don't mind, but you want that break from it. It's as close to a spiritual experience, if you will, that, that I personally have experienced in my life. So it's where I, I have a passion to be. And um, so first of all, uh, you, you know, you guys, of course, talk about creating passive cash flow. And I, I, have, I have that in terms of the traditional passive investments that kick off income that I don't have to be in the office working for. So those are, are, are extremely important things to have. And I'm the last person to tell you how to create that stuff, right? By the way, I should, t- I'm not an investment advisor. I'm a, a lowly blood sucking <laughs> vampire estate lawyer. So if I give you investment <laughs> advice, you do the exact opposite and you'll make a bunch of money. But I have, I have been fortunate enough through some family things and to have a source of income that, that is nice that I can depend on and, and has been around for a long time. It's a, a proven a proven investment that our family's been consistently involved in since about 1992. Uh, it's not Bernie Madoff, right? But it's it's a it's been a it's been a nice thing, and I've contributed to it consistently as I have have been able to create the income within my practice, and so that's created that kind of nice traditional passive income. But to me, that's not the the final definition of passive income. To me, passive income is if you don't have to be in the office and you're making money. Right. So what I also did is created a, a, a very, very strong team. I mean, you, you try to email me. My email address is teamandrew at yourcowl.com, which is a horribly corny email address. Right. But it it, it really has been me building up um, a, 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 a group of people that back me up. And I have been very, very conscious throughout the years of trying to push down anything to other people that I absolutely don't have to do. Right? I, I, I have to that, meet. And, yeah, that, that's yeah. brilliant. What you're creating is a passive business, right? You're creating something that allows other people to use their gifts and strengths in areas that you either don't possess or don't necessarily, that's not your highest and best use, right? Yeah, I mean, I used to do it all, but I didn't do it well, everything, the whole thing. I right When I got done working with law firms, I went out on my own for about a year and a half. And it was, you know, my, my wife helping with billing and, you know, my sister was doing stuff for me and, and, and it, it, I needed the help. But then I finally got tired of it. And I said, no, that's, that's not what's going to happen here. And in order for me to have that time away from the office and carve out that time to do the stuff that I love, I've got to have somebody else that's in the office that can answer phone calls, that can answer emails, everything that I don't have to do. So I have been, I've had the same paralegal for the last 15 years. And um, she's, you know, she's my office wife. And she would say I'm her office husband. And, you know, I it, nothing, of course, romantic there. I love her to death, though. And I couldn't live without her. But I spent a lot of time, uh, probably two or three years training her um, on all of the different 
aspects of how my practice needs to run. Because one of the problems with a lawyer or a, an accountant or a, a whatever, what is my practice worth if I'm not alive? I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, my clients might know the firm that I work under, but usually the relationship that I have is with the client. Um, and, and so how can I not be in the office? Well, I push everything else down. So uh, I have two paralegals. I have three administrative assistants and I have uh, an associate lawyer that are just mine. They don't work with anybody else in the firm, none of my other partners, whatever. So I've, I've created that structure whereby I really don't have to do much except meet with clients, decide what the planning is going to look like, um, you know, creating the structure, uh, uh, you know, I'll communicate with other team members, accountants and so forth, strategizing, but I'm not answering emails. I haven't put an appointment on my calendar in five and a half years. And the last oh. time I did it, my office wife yelled at me. And the only one that gets to yell at me really is my real wife. Okay. So she came in and said, look, do not touch your calendar. You screw everything up. Fine. I don't have to, I can take that off my plate. I don't have to have to think about what appointments need to be scheduled. And I do it on everything. A dental appointment. I'm sorry. You got to talk to, you got to talk to Erica or you got to talk to Christian. It's just oh, not something that I want to put in my life. So building that strong team gives you that, uh, that, that, that time away. Let me, well, let me ask you this. That I go. Let me ask you this oh. real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, Jay. The no it sounds like to me that you're following almost the process outlined in the E Myth, where you went from being a good technician, being this great attorney, and then having a very small support base to constantly replacing those things that you're good at or in having better people in those places to where now you're only doing what only you have to do. Is that, was that any part of your process? Like your, your thought? E -Myth it... Revisited, e -Myth Revisited was a huge book for me because, uh, and I think I read it about the time that I was out on my own, right? Like in that book, they talk about the baker who, you know, bakes fantastic pies and then decides she's going to open a bakery. And then all of a sudden she's, you know, doing books and records and she's not good at all those kind of things. And, and not necessarily she wasn't good at it, but she didn't have passion in it. I love what I do. I love representing clients. I love creating great results. I love, you know, keeping the IRS from getting a bunch of your tax dollars. I love that. It really is things that I like to do. Um, but I'm not passionate about sending out bills to clients. I'm not passionate about scaling, scheduling those phone calls. So when I read that book, it was like, yeah, that, that makes total sense. And that's exactly what I've done um, in each one of the members of my team, even though they very, very much all coordinated. We have a daily call where we go through everything. I know everything that's going on. I'm copied on all team email Andrews uh, or all the team, team Andrew emails. So all of those things I'm copied on and I'm trying to do the best that I can to watch over. I don't, you know, certainly not a hundred percent on those things, but if I miss something, I have five other people that are going to catch it. Um, we don't, I mean, I haven't, missed anything in a long, 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 long time. And it really wasn't since I, you know, had this staff behind me. So yeah, E-Myth is a huge thing. The, you know, the other thing, just a couple of other things that I want to mention, the, the places that I go, like when you see me and I'm in the river and I've got a, you know, just caught a fish and I'm bragging about it, whatever. Um, it's really to prove that I actually caught these fish because I tell people and they think it's fish stories, right? So, um, but I, um, it's, it's, we have a play, a beautiful place up in Montana and I have, I put a lot of money into the internet there, right? I have very, very strong internet. 
Um, I can do Zoom meetings up there. I can meet with clients if I have to. And I, I have a very, very uh, strong, probably um, somewhat psychopathic worth, work ethic. I love, I like to work. I really do. And even when I go on vacation, if I can work a little bit, it makes me feel calmer. Like I'm a happier person. Uh, my family likes being around me more. If I can at least check in with the office. And I know I always tell everybody, unplug, unplug, unplug. It hasn't worked for me. I don't unplug. I'm always plugged in. It makes me less stressed. Now that's not always true. If I'm on the top of a mountain, you know, I say hunting for elk, but it's really just me hiking with a, an extra couple of pound rifle on my back. Cause I never get anything, but if I, and I don't have cell service. I mean, I like that part of it, but I also like to check back in. It makes me calmer. So I think building out that infrastructure is an important thing. The other thing finally is I also consider myself not just a, a lawyer, but also an entrepreneur, right? We started our firm, you know, back in 2013. It's now just still three owners, myself, David York and Paxton Diamond, but we have 18 total attorneys. And so that's, you know, building a business. I've, I've, in honesty, in my practice, I've seen wealth typically built two ways, um, maybe both. One is through real estate. I mean, that's one of the ways that I've seen tremendous wealth get built. And another way is through building an actual business and potentially selling it or, you know, doing something with that. I, I honestly don't see a lot of money being made in the stock market. I don't see a lot of money. I mean, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you'll make, you'll make some money in it, but nothing like you can make, I think, if you're actively involved in, in some sort of thing you're passionate well, about. So well, that's what we spend a lot of time building on things. Well, and I think that that's important, right? As we kind of move into that part where your expertise, I, I love the fact that you kind of just shared behind the scenes, right? I mean, as as individuals, we want to know the people that we're potentially dealing with. And I know I've had a, several interactions with you professionally. Our, our family actually came out to Salt Lake and spent time in your office, spent time with your team. I got to see how your team works. And I, but you just kind of got into, I think the second part of this, this interview is really talking about, you also get a chance to see where wealth is truly built, right? And if you didn't hear yeah. him, I'm going to repeat it because we are wealth without Wall Street <laughs> is that the, the major wealth that is being built. I, I would, they did not pay me to say that. <laughs> I want to just make that very, very clear. So go ahead. But it, but there, the major wealth in America is not being built on wall street it's being built in businesses and other things that you can control businesses real estate and other things and joey and i share our passive income report on the podcast every single month and we we never show one <laughs> one single thing from wall street it's all businesses or real estate oriented in some shape or form so I, i'd love for you as you are sitting there you know, kind of in the catbird seat, right? Like you get to see where people are being successful. How has that guided your your own personal stuff? Like I know that you just said, hey, I built a business because I saw how people were being successful. But did did organization or even also seeing how things fall apart give you um, insight that otherwise you wouldn't have had to be able to make different um decisions for your, you and your family. Yeah. And I think that there's a, a big one there. And the biggest issue is choosing your business partners wisely. I think that is the single biggest issue in terms of, 
a business or real estate or whatever, I mean, first of all, you don't have you never bring a partner in your life if you can avoid it because partners just mess up your life. Um, wait, wait a minute. Now, hold on, Andrew, Andrew, we were going to have that conversation after this show. And don't, okay. you and I had a <laughs> private call the, about this. You can, you know, maybe something, we can stick to something else for the show here, if that's okay. Well, what I mean by that is I have been very, <laughs> very purposeful on partnering up. And, um, you know, when I met David York, who uh, was, we had originally founded the firm and then Paxton came in about a year, year and a half later. And we were so thankful that he did. But um, I, I was very, very careful about that. I, you know, David and I have been very purposeful about entering into this business marriage that we have. And, you know, we have the prenuptial agreement, right? What if our marriage doesn't work out? That's the typical buy sell. So I think choosing your partners, if you decide to get involved in a partnership is a number one in terms of the lessons that I've learned and seeing people, what they've done right, what they've done wrong. Um, I mean, when it goes bad, just like a divorce, a, a, a business relationship does not end badly in church, right? These things go to court. It, it can cost thousands, if not millions of dollars in terms of paying legal fees, but also lost revenue and the value of the business can go down. So you have to be very, very, very careful who you get in partnership with. And if you do decide to get in partnership with somebody, you have all of the documentation because you're in the honeymoon period then. You might as well agree to what happens if one of us dies, becomes disabled. What if we don't want to work together any longer? I had done this for a, a client of ours. Um, they're an orthodontist practice uh, some in, in the Midwest. I'm not going to say where. Uh, but one of the doctors called me one morning and he said, Andrew, we've got we've to execute our buy-sell agreement. And I said, uh-oh, what's going on? And in their buy-sell agreement, they had had this whole provision about what if they just didn't want to do business with each other any longer? So he says to me, you know, Dr. So-and-so showed up on that, that show on Dateline called To Catch a Predator and was trying to meet up with a 13-year-old girl and we don't want to do business with this guy anymore and he's ruining our relationship. And thankfully in our buy-sell agreement, we had, look, if you are you know, accused of a crime of moral turpitude, which certainly that would be, you can get booted out. So those are some of the things that, that are important to have because otherwise these guys couldn't have just done that. And they would have had to dealt with all of the downfall here. They were able to say, look, as soon as we learned about this, we booted him out, get out of our, you know, get out of our lives. And so those are the important things. A number one that I've learned in terms of businesses and how you build them is make sure you have good partners. And then you get into all of the other ancillary things that are, are still important. You've got to have passion in that business. Otherwise, you're not going to get up every morning and want to work for it. You've got to work hard. I, I always, you know, you hear that work smart, not hard. Bullshit. You got to do both, right? <laughs> you got to work hard. You got to work smart. Anybody that's telling you that is lying to you and um, is, is selling you a book or something. So you got to do both. Um, and you, you've got to like the people that you work with. I think that's an important thing. Um, and then in terms of the real estate stuff, you guys, I have followed advice on that. I have not made my own uh, decisions about what real estate I should and should not own because it's definitely not my cup of tea, but I have that in my life as well. And it's an important piece. So well, yeah, those are, those are some of the ways that I've again, seen it be, be successful. Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, you gotta go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is 
in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me. Well, I think, I mean, we, we as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and, and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. Well, we've had personal conversations with, you know, what I'm doing personally, right, with building up cash value life insurance and then using that to go buy different businesses and different assets. And we were we were talking about this yesterday um, in our, our professional conversation there. And I, I had a misunderstanding of ways that I could not only protect the assets as well as the cash values, but still be able to use it. And if I'm using the right word, it was something like a Nevada asset trust, base trust or something like that. From a high level standpoint, would you explain to Joey what that means? <laughs> yeah, so what we were we were talking on on kind of your personal stuff, Russ, and I'm not going to open any doors here, but um, you had mentioned the fact that you have a lot of life insurance. Again, hopefully, I'm not disclosing anything that everybody on this podcast didn't already know. Um, and then you use yours very much like I use mine. I have a ton of insurance on my life. My wife always reminds me that I'm worth more dead than I am alive. But it, <laughs> what I also do is I put as much into it as I possibly can, right? Until it makes it a mech, right? And, um, but, but I do that and I borrow from it and I want a lot of access and fluidity from it. Um, and, and, you know, that's an interesting thing. Um, life insurance agents, or I shouldn't say that, the life insurance lobby is by far the strongest lobby throughout the entire country and within Congress. They make the NRA look like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, they just, in terms of the amount of spending <laughs> that they put forward in terms of getting what they want is, is incredible. And one of the things that they have been able to do pretty much throughout the country with some exceptions, but in almost all states, there's again, some exceptions, that's always tough to, to be generalizing, but, but the life insurance has protection behind it already, right? My home state of Utah, it says the proceeds and avails of a life insurance contract are protected from creditors with about a one-year look back, which basically means the year of premium that you paid into that policy could still be available to the creditor, but all that cash value and buildup inside of it is protected. So that gives you protection anyway, right? In terms of the state law, and it's actually pretty protective. There have been recently, though, some arguments that have been made in court about people who use their life insurance like I do, which is kind of like a bank account, right? I borrow from it, I pay it back, and you know, it's a lot of fluidity. Um, well, if I have that much access to that account, then it doesn't sort of look like life insurance in the traditional sense. And therefore, should my creditor have the ability to go after and access those assets? So that concerns me just a little bit in how I use mine. So I've I've gone beyond that and I've gotten some greater protection with the LLC. Now, this goes with everything. I mean, if you were to look at my structure, um, what I have is a, a, a Wyoming holding company an LLC. And that Wyoming LLC is owned um, basically 2% by my wife and myself. 
Um, it's really in our revocable living trusts, which don't have any credit or protection, but they avoid probate and they're really important. But then 98% of that LLC is owned by a Nevada asset protection trust. And then underneath that LLC, I have other companies that own some real estate, that own some intellectual property, that own my life insurance, my cash, any of those kind of really liquid assets that are by far the most attractive asset to a creditor. So we have kind of that stuff underneath that. Now, again, I have a lot of access to my life insurance. Why? Well, I don't own it anymore, right? The owner and beneficiary is that LLC that owns that policy, but I'm the manager of that LLC. And as the manager of that LLC, if I want to take a loan from that policy, well, I just sign the loan documents as manager of that LLC and the insurance company sends me a check, goes into the LLC bank account. I can do a couple of things with it. I could loan it back to myself or I could work it up through the structure where it goes to my holding company, comes through the asset protection trust, or remember my wife and I still own 2%. So we're still partners in that LLC. So you still can have a lot of fluidity to that. But now let's say I get sued for some reason. I mess up somebody's estate plan. I get sued for malpractice. And this person wins and they get a judgment against me and they're coming after all of my assets. And they make this argument that Andrew's life insurance uh, should be subject to our credit, to, to our judgment, whatever. Well, not only am I going to say Utah law says proceeds and avails are not available to you, go, so go pound sand. Well, their next argument is Andrew looks used it just like his bank account. Well, my next argument is, well, I didn't really own it anyway. What I owned was a 1% interest in an LLC that then owned another LLC that owned that life insurance. And that LLC that owned the life insurance was not practicing law, did not commit that malpractice situation. You can't go after that asset. So it's, it's a way to get great protection. What it also allows, if you do the asset protection trust correctly, is you can also move those assets out of your estate for estate tax purposes. Um, right now, you still have about 11.7 million. What's exactly 11.7 million that at your death, you can pass estate tax free. And if you're a married couple, that's times two, right? So 23.4 million, which is a heck of a lot of money. And then every dollar above 23.4 million would be subject to a 40% tax. With his infrastructure bill that they just passed last Monday, um, that hasn't changed. We thought it would. There's been a lot of going back and forth the last couple of months. Um, uh, we've kind of settled, I think, for what's going to happen this year. Who knows what's going to happen next year? So but none of the ominous estate tax stuff was in there. But so putting the assets in that trust, they're no longer part of my estate either if you do it correctly. Gotcha. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm, my head is swimming a little bit because of the the nature of what you just explained. But I, what I heard was there's several layers of essentially, I, I don't want to call it corporate veil that is keeping you from essentially showing a whole lot of assets personally that now it doesn't, it doesn't leave you open to those creditors. But talk about an example or maybe is there a story or, or a play time where you saw that somebody didn't have all that, that their assets were available to that creditor. Like I want to compare and contrast those two, I guess, to help somebody understand why this would be necessary. It's a great question, Joey. Let me take a step back and and kind of look at a bigger picture, 30,000 foot level of what the heck we're talking about here. What we're talking about is this concept of asset protection. Okay. 
Now, I also threw in there a little bit of a state tax and, you know, just to just to make the day before Thanksgiving that much more fun for you guys. But um, from an asset protection standpoint, I think of asset protection as a game. And I'm not trying to minimize its importance by calling it a game. To me, it's a, a really, really important game that you should play because people will play it against you. But by calling it a game, what I'm trying to highlight is there are many different ways to play this game um, it, from very simple things that you can do. Like in my case, I'm a blood-sucking vampire lawyer. My wife is a domestic engineer. And because of our chosen professions, I have much more liability risk just than she does. She's, I'm not anywhere more important. She's way more important than I am to the family, but I'm more likely to get sued. And she's much better looking than I am. And people like her a heck of a lot more than they like me, right? So I would much rather have assets that I would like to protect owned by my wife. So you look at the home that I live in, it's owned in my wife's trust. What does that mean? Well, Joey, you sue me for some reason. I'm going to look back and say, you can't go after the home. I don't own it. My wife does. It was in that trust well before we ever started working together. She's not a blood-sucking lawyer. You can't sue her for malpractice. Too bad you can't go after that asset. Now, is that a winning argument? I have absolutely no idea. That is not for me to judge. That's for the court to decide. Is that a reasonable argument? And that's what we're talking about with asset protection, right? Creating those legitimate legal arguments that give you the ability to frustrate the person coming after you. Here in the United States, we have a 95% settlement rate in civil cases, right? That if you and I get in a car accident and I sue you, there's a 95% chance we are not going to go to court. We're not going to go to trial, right? People get really ticked off at each other and they want to sue and it's emotional and so forth. And then they start getting legal bills and they don't want to sue each other anymore, right? <laughs> so things get settled and there's, that really is our settlement rate. So to me, asset protection planning is to put you in the best bargaining position to settle that lawsuit, which is to legitimately be able to look across the table and say, here is my structure. And that's another important thing to understand about what asset protection planning is and what it isn't. Um, I have some colleagues, I call them colleagues, I don't really like these guys, but they travel around the country. They, they speak like I do public, I do a lot of public speaking about this topic. And they have somehow been able to brainwash their clients that there is something in this world called privacy. There is no such thing as privacy in this world we live in. I am going to find out about everything that you have if we get involved in a lawsuit. First of all, through the lawsuit process, you're going to have to disclose it. The court is going to require you to. And if I find out you didn't disclose something, that's going to be contempt of court. You're going to jail potentially. I'm also going to hire a private investigator that digs into the nook and cranny of every corner of your life. I'm going to know about your assets. The way that I like my clients to think about asset protection planning is almost the exact opposite. Total and complete transparency. Right? Going to that settlement negotiation table and showing the other side your structure, your ammo, and then they're really going to be probably not likely to settle that lawsuit. And there's many different ways to do that from the simple things, like I said, with my wife and I owning separate assets in our trust, like our home. Well, I haven't not lost any enjoyment. I'm in my home. She still lets me live here rent-free, which I think is pretty nice of her. And I have a parking spot in the garage as long as I haven't ticked her off too badly. So it gives me a little bit of protection by being able to make that argument, but I haven't lost any enjoyment. And that's the problem with asset protection. The more protection you want, the greater loss of control and enjoyment you're going to have over your assets. 
because I could get you as well protected as you can possibly imagine by encouraging you to create a trust in Nevis that if you are sued, boomerangs back to the Cook Islands. And it works. I mean, you're going to be very well protected, but you're going to pay me $50,000, $60,000 in legal fees to get it set up. You're going to be dealing with international trustees. You're going to really lose some control and enjoyment over your assets. You might be willing to do that at some point, but where is really the sweet spot? Where have we done enough planning for you that you're sleeping well at night um, and, and knowing your assets are protected, but not so much that we've just dramatically complicated your life? Now, I get free legal work, so I probably have a greater asset protection plan than I need to have based upon my true net worth, but I still have the ability to, to get that protection. Now, of course, it runs the gambit. Some people get this. Some people have done it without knowing it. Um, the greatest asset protection planning tool, I think, out there in the world is insurance. In fact, I don't think any of the asset protection planning techniques that I would ever tell a person to do would ever say, don't have insurance, right? Great car insurance, homeowners insurance, umbrella policies, all of those things, errors and omissions are in my case, malpractice. I always will maintain those. And again, 95% of the time, if you get involved in a lawsuit, the very first thing that a creditor will ask you is, what are your insurance limits, right? Because they know that's what they're going for. So great insurance. And then I always tell people, don't do anything stupid. I mean, I think that if people followed that advice alone, <laughs> I'd be out of a job. Don't, don't do, do anything stupid. stupid, right? So people who don't have this stuff in place, yeah, they they wind up settling, again, 95% of the time, but they wind up settling for far more than they would have to in the event they had some of this stuff in place. Well, I, there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Don't do anything stupid. Don't necessarily. <laughs> I, I wrote that one down, Russ, for us to talk about. After yeah, that should be on your coffee mug instead of Italian stallion. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't have to take your assets to to foreign countries. I saw that go bad for Johnny Depp in in the movie Blow. Anyway, I just I'm against it. After that, <laughs> I actually but, we my wife and I we went we took our kids to uh to the to the to the to the exumas and that island at the end of of that movie is where uh we, we actually went and spent a little time on that island it's a pretty cool oh, wow. place but anyway but they have they actually have a a downed drug trafficking plane like in the ocean right out in front of it so <laughs> uh, so it's legit well andrew this is amazing obviously having you come and speak in our passive income mastermind and sharing you know in depth the ways that we can use this is going to be uh, a lot of fun. I appreciate you giving our audience, you know, just a taste of some of these things. Joey and I know that what you do, the core part of your business, helping people think through the entrusted process, which is a book that you've written. If you haven't read Andrew's uh, book, Entrusted, go to Amazon, buy it today. It'll give you a whole different viewpoint of the way that you see life after um for your family. And it's something that my family went through. We built our core values. It's something that I look forward to many, many more conversations with them over the years, applying what we've learned from you. And I know that this is something that they could gain tons of value from. Outside of buying the book, uh, where else could we point people to find out more about what you're doing? 
a couple places actually. So we've got Entrusted, and that's like you mentioned on Amazon. It's also on Audible, but it's my horrible voice reading it for four and a half hours. We wrote another book in 2018 called Riveted: uh, 44 Values That Have Changed the World. Uh, thankfully, I was able to convince one of my clients, who's a an Emmy award-winning voice actress, to read that one. So that one's a lot more enjoyable to listen to. Um, we have you know our website yorkhowell.com. Uh, and then on the entrusted side, we have entrustedplanning.com that gives some more information about that process. And, and then I'm always happy to get anybody in touch with our coordinator, Tina, on, on the entrusted side of things. Awesome. Well, Andrew, as, as uh, always, we love having you on the show. Thank you for bringing so much value to people. And, uh, and I'm, I'm praying that we all kind of take action on some of the things that you mentioned so that uh, we're not in some of these kind of known ways that we can protect ourselves from doing something stupid, as you mentioned. Uh, that's really what I took away from today. Just don't, don't do, do something. Some, yeah, I said, I, people follow that advice. I'll be out of a job. I'll get to go fishing more. So don't that's do right. something stupid. Well, thank, thanks again, Andrew, for coming on the My show. Pleasure, thank you, guys. For, thank you so much for having me. It's always an honor. It really is. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for listening to this show. If you found value in this, take Andrew up, go check out those books um, and those websites as well. Share this uh, with someone else who could benefit from it as well. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.